Spiritual warfare, what is it exactly? Often, we recognize that we are in a spiritual battle, but it can be unclear how the enemy attacks or even how we gain victory. In this series, Pastor John Metter of Cross City Church shares insights into how best to prepare for and defeat the enemy. It's a war, but there is a clear winner. John Matter here, and we are walking through the Life is War podcast. And this is the second podcast uh, of the Life is War series. Last week, uh, we talked about the incredible power of the enemy and talked about just a, a baseline of understanding of what spiritual warfare is all about and why we're in it. And uh, I just wanted to welcome you to the podcast and just uh, say a few words to you of appreciation for caring enough about the Life is War uh, podcast, but also caring enough about your own life to realize you're in battle and you need to be equipped to handle the war that we're in. I, I think every day I get up as a believer in Jesus and I realize how strong the culture and how strong the uh, instigators of what culture believes today, which is a strategy of the enemy too, uh, how strong it is and how hard it is to swim upstream. It's almost like a tsunami wave of false beliefs and false behaviors and ideologies and everything else that that is overwhelming people around me. Um, and, and I believe diametrically opposite. I live diametrically opposite to those kinds of things, and yet I see it taking away, sweeping away people, uh, whole people groups. I see it sweeping away churches, organizations, uh, uh, television programs and movies are caught up in this tsunami, and it's almost like they're powerless to overcome the effects of the enemy. And here we are as individuals thinking about the battle that we're in and wondering, how do I stand firm? I mean, if this is sweeping away whole groups of people and has been for years, then, then how am I going to stand firm? So life is war, and knowing how to stand firm is everything in life. It really is so important. So today we're going to start talking about knowing your enemy a little bit and knowing uh, also your strategy. I call this the aim of the enemy and the aim of the saints. So as we get into this, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and following become very, very important. Um, and, and I need you to know that spiritual warfare is unconventional, it's uh, asymmetrical, uh, our enemies are more like terrorists. Uh, they come from every which direction. They, they really try to bombard us from every direction. Um, and and I, I want to quote some things that George Bush said a number of years ago. And the enemy, uh, he was talking about the enemy of terrorism on the, in the United States of America. And he said there's a conflict without battlefields or beachheads. It's a conflict with opponents who believe they are invisible and yet they are mistaken. Victory against terrorism will not take place in a single battle, but in a series of decisive actions against terrorist organization and those who harbor and support them. So I'm going to liken that to the spiritual war uh, that we're in right now uh, because it's not conventional warfare. It's not like Satan is going to dress up uh, in, in, in weaponry and come at you where you can recognize him as Satan right away. He's going to be deceptive. He's going to be around every corner. He's going to uh, be embedded in thoughts and, and programs and in words that others speak. And it's really, really important that we know that it's not conventional warfare. 
So today we're going to scout out the enemy a little bit. We're going to scout out not only the enemy's tactics and strategy, but we're going to talk a little bit about who the enemy actually is. Um, and we're trying to do more than just identify the enemy. We're trying to help you know how to scout the opposition and, and how to overcome the opposition. So in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul has that great passage on spiritual warfare. And there's no way that I can walk through this without reading Ephesians chapter 6 and a few verses. I won't read all of them uh, in this particular podcast episode, but I'm going to read a few of them so you'll know where we're going with this. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. By the way, a few episodes from now, we're going to talk about each piece of that uh, armor of God. But verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. And then he gets into that spiritual armor. So before he talks about spiritual armor, he talks about the strategy of the enemy or the aim of the enemy. And really, when you read that text that I just covered, it's like an edgy video war game. I mean, all kinds of wild things are talked about in these phrases. And, and most of us don't talk about these things very much. But I'm going to identify uh, in a very basic way what it means when Paul says the rulers and the powers and the world forces of darkness and the spiritual forces of wickedness. I'm going to talk about those uh, for just a few moments. So first of all, he mentions the rulers. In the Bible, the word rulers means ancient. It's a re reference to the first created angels who fell. Maybe you know the story that you can read about in Revelation 12 and in the book of Isaiah and Ezekiel as well. Uh, where Lucifer aspired to be like the Most High. Lucifer was an angel, uh, originally created to bring glory to God, but who rebelled in heaven. And when he was cast out of heaven in a big spiritual battle, cast out by Michael the archangel, <clears throat> a third of the angels fell with him. So whenever Paul begins to talk about spiritual warfare, and keep in mind he's, he's familiar with the Roman army, Roman army strategies, Roman army uh, armor, and so he begins to talk in terms of these different levels of leaders, and he begins with the rulers. So as he talks about these ancient rulers, these first created angels who fell, we have an idea who is leading the charge against us. And leading the charge against us would be the diabolical one that we know as Satan, Lucifer, who is now Satan, the adversary, the accuser. He is leading the charge with all of the other Demons and, and, and dark angels that are following him and all the, those that, that are deceived by him against those of us who stand firm in the truth of God's word and the person of God. Now, when I think about all these fallen angels, the number alone concerns me. There are myriads upon myriads of angels uh, in the first place, and then a third of them fell with Lucifer. So we're talking about a huge number of rulers who span the earth, according to Paul, and he wage war against us. And that's why he says be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And we're not struggling against flesh and blood, but we're fighting rulers. So you may not have grasped this completely, 
just at this initial talk uh, and, and the description of the word ruler. But in time, we're going to be able to, to see that uh, more and more readily. And by the way, I, I know that you probably are aware of this, but unlike God, Lucifer and angels are not omnipresent. They can't be everywhere at once. You will likely never have a one-on-one encounter with Satan himself. And the reason you won't is because he can't be everywhere, and he's probably focused in a very real personal way in other areas. Um, but just so you'll know, he's not omnipresent. He has to work through the other fallen angels and all these other uh, emissaries that we're going to talk about in just a moment. But you, you're doing battle against the devil. You're waging war against him, but not personally. Now, there's no doubt with Jesus behind you, you can do anything. But uh, sometimes when I hear people rebuking the devil and they speak to him, I think you're a little bit off here. I don't think it's Satan that's standing right in front of you. He's not omnipresent. And, and since he's not omnipresent, if he's standing in front of you, you must be very, very, very important. And if you think he's standing in front of you, you may be a bit deceived. But nonetheless, the rulers refer to those. The second phrase after the rulers is the powers. We wage war against rulers, against powers. That word literally means delegated authority. Probably those demonic spirits given an assignment. And just like I said, Satan is not omnipresent, so he sends the other angels who have fallen to do his work. And I know this sounds sensational. I referred back a few moments ago to this edgy video war game. But if you've ever played video war games, then maybe you have a vivid enough imagination to realize that it kind of looks like that. (laughs) Although invisible, these powers are at work in deceiving us and leading us in the wrong direction and leading others in the wrong direction. When Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he refers to the fact that a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan. And when I read that, I realized, okay, there's a good example of uh, Satan and his demons. Some of them are messengers of Satan sent to afflict the apostle Paul. You know, if you wonder about the power of Satan to inflict damage upon a person, read the book of Job. Because in Job, God gives Satan permission to thrash Job, to do things in his life. Uh, Only God understood why he was allowing that. But in the end, Job is an encouragement to us who go through spiritual warfare in this day and time. So God used Job's life and even used the loss in Job's life. But that's how rulers work. They, 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 They work at the beckon of Satan, and they are sometimes messengers of Satan. So there's the rulers, and there's the powers. And then the third phrase there is the world forces of darkness. The best definition I can give you from the original is an arrangement or organization of spiritual power. And it's hard for me to read it any other way than Satan's organized army. He arranges demon spirits and rank and file, assigns and sends them out to work against us, You see examples of that in Daniel chapter 10 where the struggle is recorded between Satan's angels and God's angels over the affairs of that nation. Uh, Some have said that they have regional assignments. I don't have reason to doubt that. Uh, I do not doubt Satan's influence in America. I do not doubt the world forces of darkness and their influence in America today. Who else could come up with the kind of things that we're dealing with? Uh, 30 years ago, I preached this and I was talking about abortion and porn, and different kind of violent perversion. But man, today, 
if you can't see the world forces of darkness working in almost unhuman and certainly inhumane ways against us, you're blind. Think about child sex trafficking. Think about the gender dysphoria movement, confusion that has been created by, by one that definitely wants to blur the lines of God's truth. Think about all the sexual things that have happened in America over the last 20 and 30 and 40 years. I'm telling you that I believe the world forces of darkness are bombarding us, bombarding us like a bombing run uh, and getting us to think things that are just not so. Uh, so the world forces of darkness, that would be an arrangement or organization of assigned spiritual power. And even as I say this, I know that you're going to be rolling your eyes a little bit and thinking, oh, that guy's kind of, he's kind of dropped off the deep end there because he's talking about things that are kind of strange. Well, they may be strange sounding to you, but these are the words right out of Scripture. These are the kinds of things that we see happening in Scripture. And we have not yet uh, come to the point in human history where God has relegated Satan to the abyss, to the fire, the lake of fire. One day he'll do that, but his ministry, Satan's ministry, is not over yet. So what's he doing? He's doing what I'm talking about right here. So you have the rulers, you have the powers, you have the world forces of darkness. Then you have spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And this simply means evil and vicious influence. Uh, the word forces is not really in the original, so it's, it's spirituals in, uh, in places, in high places of wickedness. Uh, I think this is probably the, the biggest span of uh, how wickedness and how evil and how lies are being perpetuated. It's the population who sees evil yet believes it is good. In other words, all the deceived. These are not demons. These are people. These are people who have bought into the lies and now are promoting the lies. If you doubt that that's present, then you haven't been on Twitter lately. If you doubt that that's present, you haven't been on any social media where people are promoting things that are ludicrous or crazy. They're off the deep end. Well, where do they get those? Well, they got those from the rulers, the powers, the world forces of darkness, and they've actually bought into them. So now they are promoters of evil. And it kind of leads us to the place where evil is not only a possibility, but evil is prevalent around us. It is prevalent. It's not majority yet, but it's prevalent. And again, my uh, word picture of the tsunami. All around us, people are being swept away by these ideas. And then there are those who are followers of Christ, and we're being called to stand firm. How do you stand firm in a tsunami? Well, that's really <laughs> what we're thinking about right here. Standing firm in the tsunami is massive, and that's what I want us to do. So let me just summarize this section of this podcast episode by saying the enemy strategy is both real and thought out. He will inflict damage on some. Never underestimate the power of the enemy. What's going on in our world is not just political, and it's not just personality. It's political and personality that have been infused with the deception from the evil one, and he will inflict damage. In the scripture, Satan is called the lion, uh, a dragon, uh, and both of those are destructive creatures, and it's not without purpose that he's called that. And above all that, he's called a snake or a serpent where he deceives. He's the deceiver. He's the adversary. He's the accuser. There's so many words that, you, that are used to describe Satan. 
But more than anything else in the spiritual warfare series, I want you to see him as a high commander of opposition to you as a believer in Jesus Christ. The high commander of the opposition against the Lord Jesus Christ himself and his church. So to be a part of the body of Christ is to be a part of the enemy of Satan and to be the target of Satan. So the strategy of the enemy, the aim of the enemy, is to utilize all of his power against us. Against us. Now, at some point later in the podcast, I'll talk about the aspect of truth. Truth versus lies. And, of course, this is where the practical side of this battle is, and we'll, we'll deal with that soon. So the aim of the enemy. But the second part that I want to talk to you about is what Ephesians 6, 10 and following say about the aim of the saints, the aim of the believers in Jesus Christ. It says, first of all, that we're to be strong in the Lord. That's a passive verb, which means find your strength in him. It means you're not, you're not pumping iron in order to be strong, but what you're doing is you're going to him over and over, always finding your strength in him is one translation. And the word in is a, is a, a word that in the original means in and remaining in. It's not just a temporary in, but in and remaining. So strategy number one is stay focused on your daily relationship with Christ. As, power as, the de- as, as powerful as the devil is, God tells us that we're stronger as long as we're in him. Stay in him. When I'm not engaged daily with him, I find I'm under consistent attack. And that's the same is going to be true with you. You know, if you've ever watched a great safari video footage or, or footage of animals who are praying against other animals, you surely have seen the lions who come after uh, the pack of elk. And as they come out against that herd of elk, they will run uh, alongside that herd until one of them is singled out. They'll single out a solitary animal. And they'll wait until they can find the weakest one, and the one that's all by itself, the one that has less support, that has less momentum, and they'll pounce on that one. And usually it's at the back of the pack, uh, the back of the herd, and that animal goes down. The rest of the the herd that they've been hunting just keeps on moving, and that one is isolated against the other animals in in that uh, in that pride. And of course, the end doesn't take long for that particular deer or elk. Well, that's how Satan works. He will single out the one that's not with the group. He will single out the weaker one that has no protection, the one that's not moving forward in momentum. That's why I say be strong in the Lord means your daily walk. It means that you need to consistently be with your people, uh, be involved in your church. It means that you've got to be around other believers. It means you've got to be spending time with Jesus Christ himself. Be strong in the Lord. And then it tells us to be prepared by putting on the full armor of God. And again, I'm going to spend a lot of time on the armor of God. But but just get this point right here. It's also in the middle tense. It basically means that we are uh, to cause ourselves to be prepared. And we need to be ready and cause ourselves to be ready because the enemy certainly is. And if I were to summarize the whole armor of God, which I'll do it in a very summary way right now, I would say that all of the armor of God has to do with being holy. Now, that sounds strange to you. But when we walk in holiness, we fulfill everything that the spiritual armor tells us to do. To wear the armor is to be dedicated to holy living without compromise. And every chink in your armor of disobedience or a lack of holiness is a chink in your spiritual armor. Every open door 
to sin, to temptation, to allowing deception in your mind is a lack of readiness. All it takes is one chink in your armor and Satan will begin to attack it like, like he's a spiritual terrorist. So stay alert. And he can come from any direction at any time. Just be ready. When you're alone, when you're tired, when you're discouraged, when you're tempted, be ready. Now when I talk about this this whole thing that I've been talking about today, sometimes people say, are you trying to scare me into living right? And I'd rather you be scared than unprepared is my answer. I would rather you be so aware of the power of the enemy that you are always thinking about being where you need to be in terms of obedience and following Christ completely. So be strong, be prepared, be resolute. In fact, we're, we're called to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now, that's an active verb. Notice how many times in that text the words stand firm are written. 1 Peter 5.8 says the same thing. We're to actually oppose and resist and declare as false and deceitful the lies of the enemy. You know, in Roman times, uh, soldiers were required to stand their ground and not retreat. In fact, often the Roman soldiers would would kill somebody that turned and ran. I've heard of this in other armies, more modern armies as well. They call them traitors very quickly, so they want someone to run headlong into the fire, into the attack of the enemy, and not turn back because when someone turns back, it discourages everyone else around them and it impedes the progress of the army. And, and even though Paul is talking about this in a slightly different way, he's saying that we cannot retreat. It matters that we take a stand. We don't have to give up any ground. And that's what Satan has taken and tried to take from our lives. We can make him give it back. We can take over land that has been conquered. Again, I'm going to refer to Desert Storm because I was, I was in the 90s watching this unfold. And Desert Storm was when Saddam Hussein of Iraq came over and took over Kuwait. And George Bush Sr., uh, activated this Desert Storm army that came over and took back Kuwait. Um, but it was really interesting how it unfolded. Uh, President Bush had warned Saddam Hussein of Iraq to back up and yet to no avail. So Bush called out the countries of Italy and England and other countries to join this determined coalition. And almost before Saddam could blink, 500,000 soldiers stormed the beaches in the Gulf and sent a clear notice to the Iraqi leader not only can you not take back, uh, take any territory, you've got to give back what you've taken. And within a few days, the liberating forces had come in and taken all of Kuwait back. And before long, all the Iraqi soldiers were throwing down their weapons and running or giving up. It was just such an overwhelming attack. And I just share that little brief historical uh, story with you to know that if the enemy has taken ground in your life, you can take it back with God's power and with God's strategy. It's so important that you know that. So in the same way that Satan may be taking ground out of your life, uh, the believer can demand that this territory belongs to Jesus. And whatever he has done in our life, whatever Satan has done, uh, he must return it under the power and threat of Jesus when we walk in our spiritual warfare. So I want to encourage you at the end of this episode that that we are in a war and there's the aim of the enemy, but there's also the aim of the saint to be strong in the Lord and to be prepared and to be resolute. And again, still laying groundwork, stick with us as we walk through the Life is War podcast. And in coming episodes, we're going to get even uh, more into the battle and into the sounds and into the sights of what the battle looks like. 
Uh, until then, we'll see you again. And this is John Metter.